Welcome to the Internet Advisor Podcast. I'm your host and producer, Foster Brown. Along with my co-host, Gary Baker, and our team of experts, we've been helping people like you since 1998 with your computer problems, introducing you to valuable resources, and promoting tech enterprise throughout Michigan. The Internet Advisor is a two-hour podcast recorded every week at the studios of historic WJR Radio in Detroit. Both hours of the show are available each week on this podcast and are streamed to our affiliates across the state of Michigan. We're also proud to be part of Detroit's newest and fastest-growing podcast network, PodcastDetroit.com. And now, here are your hosts with this week's Internet Advisor. Welcome to the Internet Advisor, your place for answers to your computer questions since 1998, with your co-hosts Gary Baker and Foster Brown and their team of tech experts. The door is always open at internetadvisor.net, on Facebook and through Twitter. But right now it's time to get you in touch with your helpful hosts on this week's edition of Internet Advisor. Welcome. The party has just begun. (laughs) Hi, I'm Foster Brown, the co-host and producer of The Internet Advisor for 19 years, believe it or not. We're going to be celebrating our 19th anniversary today. We've got quite a program. As a matter of fact, we're going to be celebrating it for three hours. Our first hour, we're going to be hearing from Josh Linkner, one of our favorite commentators. And uh, second hour, we'll be talking about the DIA and something new there. It's going to be a party. Happy anniversary to you. Happy anniversary, dear Internet Advisor. Internet Advisor. (laughs) Happy anniversary to you. All right. (laughs) With only a little bit of help. Oh, my Uh, goodness. That was. Connie Caston. Connie, <laughs> Connie Thomas. Connie Sorry. Thomas. <laughs> and Caston Thomas's uh, wife, who came in with Caston today to help us celebrate our 19th anniversary, Foster. This is the Internet Advisor Show with uh. Foster Brown, Gary Baker, Ed Riddell, and Cal Carson, and Caston Thomas and Connie Thomas. That's right. Much better Thank half. you very much. You know, I don't think Marilyn Monroe could have done a better job. Yeah, thank you very much. What a great serenade. We've got a great show wow. today. Yes, indeedy. Thank you. Uh, we're all kind of uh, shuffling around now. After we're, we're catching our breath after that. Incredible. <laughs> you know, I, it does sound like uh, John F. Kennedy's ghost should appear somewhere around it. Around a corner. <laughs> Thank you so much, Connie, for that. <laughs> well, we ha- we do have a great program. First of all, it's a three-hour program, which is that's right. going to be a great one. Uh, in this first hour, we're going to be talking in just a moment with Josh Linkner. And I, Gary, I can't think of a, a, a better, more timely interview than, first of all, we love having uh, Josh Linkner on. Anytime we can have him on. Absolutely. But his new book is called Hacking Innovation, and it's a new model, a new growth model from the sinister world of hackers. And I I asked you what you thought of it. I've been reading it and just... Uh, it's an amazing book. I'm I, taking notes I, all over the place. I'd love this first two, Discipline Dreaming and The Road to Reinvention. 
Uh, both of them, New York Times bestsellers. Uh, they were both great books. This one beats them. This is a great book. I the, love it. Yeah, I, the principles are absolutely fascinating, and we're going to get to them. Now, that's the first hour of our program. Mike Brennan is also coming on at the end, near the end of the hour to talk about his MI Tech News headlines. But then the second hour, we're going to visit, uh, have some folks come in here the studio from the Detroit Institute of Arts. They've got a brand new way of looking at the art. At Online. the uh, on, yeah. I, yeah, exactly. You can actually watch a, an x-ray of the mummy. <laughs> I wonder, does that, you know, does that move, that, uh, that mummy? I don't know. <laughs> I don't we'll know. have to find out. We'll have to ask them. But in any case, we're going to have a special, we're going to have her be a mystery guest. Okay. In yes. that second yes. hour as well. Yeah, we, might, uh, we might actually get her to call. There you go. And the third hour of our program is going to be our call-ins. That's when you folks get to call in with your questions. And we're, that's also been a very important part of our show over these last uh, 19 years. And uh, Kasten is going to be with us in the second hour as well. Let me just formally greet you, Kasten. Good to have you with us again. Great to be here, as always. Kasten is one of our authorities on uh, Internet security. And um, you're also going to be talking to us a little bit about a brand new technology um, that is part of making Wi-Fi, I guess, a little bit better. It's the 802.11 AC Wave 2, and AC it's Wave 2. real multi-user, but we'll ask Kasten when he comes on because now people can sit in the stadium watching a, a sports event, mm-hmm. uh, not just the Super Bowl, although we'll be talking about it because of tomorrow, <laughs> uh, but we they can actually get great connectivity because of the multi-user functionality uh, of that oh, new wow. protocol. So. It's wow. been coming for a while, and it's finally here. We'll talk to Kasten about it second hour. And Kasten, we're also going to talk a little bit about some new forms of ransomware that we, I understand. We can do that. Yeah. Mobile it's, ransomware it's, and some really nasty stuff. Yeah, it's oh, going to get dear. worse before it gets better, isn't it? Oh, oh well. Anyway, let's uh, take a pause for just a Well, before we can take the pause, let's introduce our first guest who's going to be with us for most of this hour, and that is somebody we've already talked about. That's Josh Linkner, a two-time New York Times best-selling author and an author of a book called Hacking Innovation. Josh, it's so good to have you with us again. Well, thank you so much. Great to be here, as always. And uh, I don't know, do you agree with Gary that this may be indeed your best book yet? Well, I'm, I'm blushing a bit. It's very nice of, of you guys to say. I actually am very proud of the work. I, I mean, I was, I was certainly proud of my other two books. And, and you know, you, you, you put yourself out there. You do a lot of research and, and write something like this to try to make a difference in the world. And I really, I, I do, I don't say in a boastful way, but I am really happy with the work. And I hope that, that it does positively impact people all over the world. What's the, what is the difference that you hope to make through the, the book? And we'll get to talking about some of the principles that you uncover in this, because they are, I think, fascinating. What I've learned is that in, in business and, in, frankly, in most areas of life, uh, the more innovative you are, the more successful you become. Mm-hmm. And as our world becomes more complex and, and, and competition is stiffer than ever and, and, the, and uh, the speed is faster than ever, uh, if you think about it, human creativity, innovation, this is like the one thing that's left standing. It's, it, it's, uh, it's the one thing that can't be outsourced or automated and truly becomes the ingredient of sustainable success for most careers and companies. And so the question then is, all right, that sounds all good, but how do you do that? Mm. And in, in writing this book, it led, I was looking for a really different, uh, bold source of inspiration, and it led me to hackers. And as we know, hacking is, is a big, scary topic. It's, it's our biggest threat to national security. Some have argued that it's impacted the results of, of our most recent presidential election. Mm. But uh, putting their motives aside, it's not so easy to hack into a bank. 
So the way I look at hacking isn't good or bad, right or wrong. I just simply look at it as a tool. So just like a knife, which you could use for... for uh, right bad or good, you know, right. same same type of thing. And so yeah. I look at hacking as a methodology for complex problem solving. And what I'm hoping to do right. to answer your question is help people around the world with a new set of tools and mindsets to, to make better choices, to become more innovative and help them grow and their companies grow. Thank you, Josh. Now, hang on. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to take a look at some of the key principles that you outline in the book as well. Josh Linkner, our guest on the Internet Advisor. Welcome to the party. <laughs> I'm Foster Brown, along with our full crew here, and Caston Thomas is in studio with us, along with his bride, and we are just starting the party here. That is our 19th anniversary, and we're doing it, uh, I think, very importantly, and not by chance, Gary, uh, with uh, our first guest being none other than Josh Linkner. Um, and, and Josh, again, thank you very much for joining us, and for sharing some of your insights from hacking innovation. Josh, uh, you know, we've known each other for a long time, a couple decades, uh, back when you started uh, Global Link, I believe. And uh, and really, innovation has been the hallmark of your career. Uh, I just didn't realize that you started as a hacker. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. I, I actually did start as a hacker. Luckily, the uh, statute of limitations has run on this one. But in the uh, in the early '80s, I was dabbling around, and I wasn't a very good hacker, of course. But but I did get the bug, and and I wasn't even doing it for the personal gain as much as it was trying to solve the problem. In the same way, you know, you try to put a puzzle together. Um, but it's funny. In the book, I, I define hackers is a very in a, d- a different way than most people would think. Yes, there are people who are hackers that wear a hoodie and commit cybercrime. But my argument is that hacking again is a methodology for comp- complex problem-solving and innovation, uh, hackers goes way beyond people who write code. So my argument in the book is that Martin Luther King was a hacker for social justice, yes. mm-hmm. and that Thomas Edison yep. was a hacker, and Mahatma Gandhi was a hacker. And so it's funny, when you, when you lay the approaches, mindsets, and tactics of those greatest people against uh, how cyber criminals behave and think, actually, it's pretty similar. And that's really what the book covers. It certainly doesn't talk about, I'm not trying to promote or teach cybercrime. It's more like, what no. can we learn and borrow from cr- hackers and apply it to, to for legitimate purposes. You know, you and know, I, I like one of the things that I, I that I like about the fact that you're here at this particular time in our history is that here we are at 19 years we've been on the air, and part of it is, well, let's just kind of settle back and you know uh, and eat the cake and and be very satisfied with where we've gotten to. But reading your book is maybe very uncomfortable with where we are right now. <laughs> well, I think that's good, and and I don't want people to be uncomfortable like in a horrible way. But no, no, but, you know, when way. we get real comfortable, that that can be that's been the beginning of the end for too many careers and companies. Yeah. And and I think that we need to be a little uncomfortable, mainly because the world that we live in isn't static. Exactly. You know, if we crack the code on something and we live in a static world, awesome. But today we live in a rate of change like none other in history. And so that that sense of discomfort that you have is good because you're going to continue to push the boundaries and disrupt your show and continue to put yourself out of business. Exactly. And continue to get better, and that's exactly what we need to do in, in our businesses as well. And to be very honest with you, radio broadcast radio is in a place where if it doesn't very quickly find a way of continuing to reinvent itself or find new ways of carrying on the mission of communicating with people, it's going to be it's it's there are forces out there like podcasting which will steal its lunch without the the, the least bit of compunction and has in many ways you know, nearly every industry is in the midst of massive upheaval, as you describe. And, and if, if you're in an industry that you're not feeling that yet, you're, you're about to. 
I mean, you know, mm. the classic example, you look at the cab industry, everyone was trying to figure out how oh, to charge yeah. five cents more a mile, and Uber and Lyft came in and disrupted it. And so, so to me, therein lies the opportunity and the threat. And so I think it's incumbent on all of us as leaders, as, as community uh, activists and such, to make sure that we are that source of disruption rather than having it thrust ah, upon us. That's it. That we be the source of that disruption. Cal? Yeah, Josh, let me ask you this question. When do you think that we're going to start making hacking part of the curriculum in colleges and stuff like that, along with other portions of information technology? Well, you know, it's funny that you say that. So cyber, uh, cybercrime professionals is a really, really hot uh, job market. There's something like a million, over the next couple of years, a million job openings in cybersecurity. So to, in, in the very literal sense, it's starting to actually become, you can get certifications at many colleges. But I think where you're going is, is more what, what my book is about is, you know, hacking is a mindset and, and how to apply hacking principles to non-hacking endeavors. And I really hope that does become a, a part of the curriculum. You know, I'm, I'm a really big uh, a proponent of education and and a big supporter of it, but I feel like our educational system, all the way through, by the way, is so dramatically outdated. You know, we got this whole thing about no child getting left behind, and so what do we do? We teach people rote memorization. Turns out every child gets left behind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think what we need to do is teach our kids, as well as our university students, about how to think on their feet, how to deal with ambiguity, how to make decisions when you don't have all the, the information in front of you, and basically how to hack. And if, if you're able to do that, I think we're going to set uh, those graduates up for a much more successful future. Well, Josh, what I really liked about this book. And again, I, I like your other two books, Discipline Dreaming and The Road to Reinvention. Both were New York Times bestseller list. Not only me, but a whole lot of people <laughs> liked them. The reason I think this book is even better is because of the way you've, you've really laid it out. I love the four, the, you've got five core mindsets that you use from, that a hacker would use, but you can take and now apply that to innovation. And that's really, I think, uh, really exciting about this book is once you can apply it to innovation, you can apply it to other things too. Well, it's nice of you to say thank you. I mean, like I said, mo- most of the book is, is teaching people how to apply this type of thinking and these tactics to real-world situations. Again, we're not, we're not teaching how to, people how to break into a bank or something. Right, right. So what I do, though, is I often will show an example of, of, of a you know, notorious cybercrime, but then I do what, what I like to say is a legit flip. In other words, how can you take the, the approach that they embraced, flip it upside down, and use it for good? So more than 80% of the book, the example, even though it kind of is fun and reads like a spy novel, more than 80% percent of the book is showing these hacking principles and tactics applied in real real, real world yep, situations exactly. outside of cybercrime. That, I, I tell that was, you, that helped me as I was looking through this thing. I thought, well, get, will I get this? But what you've done is you've given these concrete examples of how people have applied these principles, like every barrier can be penetrated, uh, compasses over maps and things like that. I got to say, as I look around the studio here, I'm looking at a group of hackers. Uh, I, I look at Ed <laughs> Rudell across from me. You love tearing things apart. And that, I think, is part of that hacker mentality. You're not satisfied with the way things look right now, but you love tearing them apart and seeing how they work. Oh, absolutely. And, and, and it started, you know, in the 80s doing, you know, not only repairing toasters, but then also trying to figure out how to edit those files so I can play a video game for free mm. instead of buying the licenses, <laughs> you know, or purchasing the software, you know. So I would dare, so, Cal, you too, I would imagine, have had your uh, your hands in a few of the, um, 
those principles of hacking as well. No, I never go to the dark side. No, no, no. and that's important. It's not the dark side. It's He's not hacking. the dark side. No, I, I think the principle of just trying to find out what's going on under the hood and making it work the way you want it to work or, or changing the, the way that it works is something that's embedded in all of us within IT and probably embedded in a lot of people, period. It, it, it's that genuine curiosity to want to be able to change things to make it and mold it to do it the way that you want it to do. And that's, I think that's the purpose of hacking, to get what you want the way you want it. You know, Josh, um, the stories, I think, make the book yeah, really I think what so it too. is. Uh, what was your favorite story? You I got to tell you, I had so much fun. So over the last three years or so, I immersed myself in this dark, underbelly, cloak-and-dagger world of hackers. I spoke to felons. I spoke to law enforcement officers. I spoke to uh, cybercrime professionals. But I also spoke to um, you know, hackers in Silicon Valley and trying to hack tech companies and such. So it was really fascinating research, both, both you know, personal interviews and, and a lot of reading. Um, and, and so it's hard to choose a story, but I think that w- what I try to do in the book is make it so that all of these tactics and mindsets are accessible. In other words, uh, you yeah. might say, gosh, does this really apply to me, or could I apply it? I, I run yep. an insurance agency. How could I hack that? Mm-hmm. And it's really quite the opposite. These, these tactics and, and, and mindsets are, are stuff that each of us can get our arms around, and I try to really p- provide some clear stories. So one that you were you know, asking a favorite story. I don't know if it's my absolute favorite, but one that I thought was pretty cool. There's a guy named Kevin Bull. Mm-hmm. So Kevin... Kevin's a stockbroker, and, you know, he, he, ordinary guy, stockbroker, but, man, ha- Kevin had a dream. His dream was to be an American ninja warrior. So, now, that, that, I don't know if you show. Yes, I love that story. That I, hey, you know what, story. Josh? We're coming up on a break, and I want to make sure we get the full context of that story. That is such yeah, that's a, a cool, cool story, and it's a great way of explaining how hacking is not about doing bad things, but just taking a fresh approach that allows you to excel at doing even better things. Our guest is Josh Linkner, and typically he's come up with some humdinger of these examples. The book is called Hacking Innovation. We'll be back in just a moment to continue our conversation on this 19th anniversary edition of The Internet Advisor. And thank you for joining the party here, our 19th anniversary show. Foster Brown, Gary Baker, Ed Riddell, Cal Carson, Kasten Thomas is also in studio with us as cybersecurity expert, and we'll have him on just a moment. But Josh um, Linkner is our guest. His book is called Hacking Innovation. Josh, I think the ultimate compliment was just paid to you in the studio here. Uh, Kasten Thomas' uh, wife is with him. And uh, could you tell me what your, your comment was as you were reading the first pages of the book? Oh, well, I just said I like the way that the language used in the book was common language, mm-hmm. not just for people who are in this industry. So it drew me in and wanted me, uh, let me want to read more. Yeah, he keeps it really interesting, doesn't he? Yeah, doesn't it? it? Yeah. So there you are. I, I, can, I think that is a very high compliment that your material is extremely accessible. <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. Now, the story of Kevin Bull, because this is mind-blowing. As an example of the principles of hacking that you outline in the book, and I'm not going to go into the individual details of this, get the book. As a matter of fact, we're going to be giving some of the copies away uh, near the end of the, uh, of the program here, uh, of this hour. But let's talk, talk about the Kevin Bull story. Yeah, so uh, one of the tactics that hackers often use, and, and I, I share this in the book, is called the reverse, which is basically mm-hmm. taking the exact polar opposite approach of conventional wisdom. So imagine you're trying to break into a house. Instead of breaking in from the front, you break in from the back. 
And that's exactly what hackers do, of course, in a more sophisticated way. So anyway, back to Kevin Bull. Kevin Bull's a stockbroker, and he had this crazy dream. He wanted to be an American ninja warrior. And, and this show is crazy. Like, if you've seen the show, they have to do these insane oh, uh, athletic competitions. Yeah. The people that, that win this, let alone get on it, are, are athlete, professional athletes and Olympians and people that have trained their whole lives. Well, Kevin here is a stockbroker. Anyway, through hard work and persistence, he, he actually made it onto the show, which is pretty cool. Wow. But he's on the show, and he comes up to the challenge of his life. It was a challenge called Cannonball Alley. And this obstacle, you, there are these three balls hanging from chains from the, the ceiling, basically. Mm. And you have to, with enormous upper body strength, grab onto one, leap to the next one, grab onto that, leap to the next one, and basically make it over a moat. It's this incredibly challenging uh, obstacle. And it turns out that 16 of the world's finest athletes all tried it before him. All 16 failed. Now there's Kevin. What's Kevin going to do? So Kevin realizes that he doesn't have the strength and, and, and athleticism as these other guys. He had to do something different. He had to hack it. So here's what Kevin does. He, he gets up on the first ball, kind of leaps to the second ball. He's still holding on, but his arms are starting to shake because his upper body strength is about to go out. Yep. Then what does he do? He flips upside down and grabs the last ball, not with his arms, but with his fresh legs. <laughs> he grabs onto his legs, hangs upside down, starts swinging, and kind of uses the momentum to, to leap onto the other end of the platform. First person in the world to clear this obstacle, Kevin goes on to fame and fortune. <laughs> so what he did is he reversed it. He hacked it. He took this oppositional approach using his legs instead of his arms, and that, and that carried the day. And that's exactly the same thing that we can do when we're about to take in a move that we've always done before, a traditional approach. We just can pause and ask ourselves, what's the opposite of that? How can I do a reverse in order to drive a better outcome? I'm curious. We have a cybersecurity expert in studio with uh, somebody who's, whose job is to protect companies and with their security uh, online. So, uh, Kasten, what, what is your... What are some of your thoughts as you hear this conversation going? Josh makes some really, really good points. And one of the things that a lot of people have to get over is this idea that hacking equals bad. Right. And the whole idea of hacking, the origination of that term, was hacking away at a problem. Mm. Well, we're all hacking away at a problem. And, and, you know, in this book, Josh gives some great methodologies and processes to go about you know, finding that back door in. Yeah, you know, I really liked, and Josh, you outlined not only the mindsets, but you outlined 10 principal tactics. I read through those and went, wow, these are, this is very cool. And then you put together stories where you used two or three or, or I think a couple of the stories had even had four different tactics. And you really explained that there's real value in stringing some of these tactics together, right? Yeah, it, it's really it's a toolkit, and, and, and these tactics can be applied if you're trying to grow membership in your church or, or you're trying to grow your uh, obstetrician practice or you're you know, making wood furniture. Again, it has nothing to do with cybercrime. It's just that these, yeah. these tactics and mindsets can be applied uh, individually or in combination, as you point out, to drive uh, really unique and compelling uh, results. Cal? You know, Gary asked, you know, what was, you know, the, the, the greatest thing or the most uh, interesting thing that you, you asked someone about uh, or talked with. What was the creepiest thing you talked about? <laughs> with, Leave it to you to ask that question. Well, you know, everything's not all sunshine and unicorns. I, I, I just want to know, did, did, was there anyone you talked to you felt a little, ooh, 
after that, that conversation. <laughs> there were, uh, and, and, and some of the, the results were like that. So, so uh, funny, we think of John Dillinger, and he's this world-famous mm-hmm. bank robber, and there has been like 14 major films about him. And he, made a, he, he ended up robbing like 30 banks and, and, and over a couple of years and made away with like a couple hundred grand. Well, there's a bank robber group that you've never heard of. It was a loosely organized group from uh, Russia and Eastern Europe that robbed 100 banks in 35 countries and made off with a billion dollars in cash. Hmm. Never caught, never tried, never convicted. And they did it through a whole series of hacking techniques, some of which involved programming ATM machines to literally spit out cash at a specific time. <laughs> and they would then hire what they would call money mules. So in some random town in Europe, some guy would walk up to an ATM machine at 3.21 a.m., open a burlap bag, and the thing would just start spitting out cash. And so when you look at this stuff, again, I, I'm not trying to glamorize crime. I mean, no, there no, are no. real victims, and that, that shouldn't happen. But, but it was a creative approach. And, and, uh, and again, that's what I try to grasp onto and, and share with the readers. And by the way, again, I think it's really important here to, to underline the fact that hacking is simply, as you said, Kasten, it's a way of chopping away at problems and finding unique ways of solving it. And I think, you know, we, we rob ourselves of potential by, by not do, you know, delving into these kind of things and thinking that, oh, these are bad guy principles. No, they're not. They're the principles that make companies like multi-billion dollar companies like Amazon work. Yeah, because yeah. everything's got a good and a bad side to it. I mean, you can use a hammer to build a house and you can also <laughs> use a hammer to beat somebody to death with. So it, 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 hacking is just a tool just like that. You can either be creative or you can be destructive. The other thing that people often mis- misunderstand is they think of a hack as like a quick fix, you know, mm, uh, like you're duct taping right. something together that isn't going to be sustainable. But um, the hacking principles have actually created some of the biggest breakthroughs in our society. I mean, when you study how some of the major drug therapies have been brought to market or, or even, you know, political ch- shifts that have, have helped humanity greatly, and these were uh, discovered and applied through a series of hacks. So, it, again, I think we remove the, the, um, the cloudiness and, and the, and the uh, bias in the word. We can start to get on with the hard work and the important work of, of, of making hacking for, for positive gain. You know, we're talking to Josh Linkner. Uh, Josh uh, has written his third book. I'm sure it's going to be another New York Times bestseller, oh, Hacking definitely. Innovation. Yeah. Um, and when I followed your career, Josh, uh, you know, from you know, not only author, starting Global Link, E-Prize, and selling that. Uh, it's now called Hello World. Detroit Venture Partners, one of the co-founders there. Fuel Leadership, a speaker series. You've spoken all over the world. You write for the Detroit Free Press, a column. I love um, it. And My I favorite. I like <laughs> um, I subscribe. I, I, I've known and I've watched how innovative you are. I also starting to come to realize that, yeah, you know, you've been a hacker. You admitted to being a hacker early on in, in, in your life. And, and do you still play jazz guitarist? Are you still a jazz guitarist? I do, uh, quite a bit, actually. That, and that's kind of an ultimate hack of, um, yeah. you know, just the jazz music, right? Well, hacking and jazz music, actually, there's a lot of similarities. It's funny that you mentioned that. But um, one thing that I wanted to make clear, you know, you're you, you know, very nice to say all those things about me, but um, I don't think that I'm more creative than anybody else, really. And, and what it is is that... I beg these, to these argue. Tactics, 
I mean, you can, you can apply them in the same way. It's, it's more about learning the tactics and then applying them. Yeah. It's funny, so jazz musicians you think of as the like, ultimate creative people because only 1% of the notes are on the written page and the rest you have to improvise. Mm-hmm. But there are some patterns. There are some real specific approaches that you learn when studying jazz that help you get there. It's not like you're just you know, spewing mastery out of, out of your mind. And the other thing I would say is that the culture of a jazz combo encourages creativity, creative risk-taking. Mm-hmm. So if mm-hmm. I go to, to Cliff Bells and play a gig and I play it really safe, I get laughed off the stage. But if I go and play a clunker, I just play it twice more and call it art. Everybody's good. <laughs> I love it. I love but it. So the point I'm making is that jazz musicians are no more creative than anybody else. It's just that they, they have a culture that supports responsible risk-taking, and they have a set of t- tools and tactics that they can deploy. And that's what I really try to get across in the book. You don't have to be some you know, mad genius to apply them. All of us, no matter mm-hmm. where you are in your life, you can apply these tactics. And there are many, many examples in the book of people who are you know, not the mad geniuses that we might imagine here as you were talking, but are simply, for instance, waited long enough to have something happen because they uh, adhere to one of those principles. Cal, were you going to ask a question? Yeah, I just was curious. He's jazz guitarist. I mean, whose vein do you pretty much follow? Uh, if if there was an artist you, you would say that you were like, who would you say? Well, I say this comparison, but just to be clear, I'm, I'm a thousand levels lower. But but Wes Montgomery oh, is, is my hero. My I just favorite. love that tone. That's that's oh. really what I've always gone for the last 35 years of playing jazz guitar. But oh. I love I love Joe Pass. I love Kenny Burrell. I love yep. uh, all, all the greats, and I just lo- I love the instrument and and, and the uh, medium. Well, Josh Linkner, thank you so much for spending a, a, just a generous amount of time with us. The book is called Hacking Innovation, and we will, before the end of the show, be giving some away. Thanks again, Josh. Thank you. Have a great one. Welcome to the 19th anniversary show. This is the Internet Advisor, Foster Brown, Gary Baker, Ed Riddell, Cal Carson, Caston Thomas in studio, and somebody who was a regular visitor to our show about this time every week, and that is Mr. Mike Brennan, the editor of MI Tech News. Hi, Mike. How you doing? Now, is it true you started the show when you were only 30 years old? <laughs> I love it. Uh, in my dreams. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. No, Gary was probably only 10 or so, right? <laughs> That's my story. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's good to have you with us, Mike, again. You, matter of fact, I should start off by saying that you are in Grand Rapids right now, and I didn't know that Grand Rapids had its very own car show. Oh, yeah, gosh. It's been going on here for, I don't know, 15 or 20 years. started out as basically a dealer show, but now it's a manufacturer show. And I, I think you understand the distinction where there really aren't very many dealers here, but it's kind of like the Detroit show, but on a much smaller scale. Even mm-hmm. so, they're expecting 100,000 people to come through wow. over the four days of the show. And I'm sitting here above the lobby right now, and I bet I'm looking at 1,000 people in the lobby. Um, and we uh, toured the show. I did some video in there, by the way, some interviews. Oh, oh, uh, we'll have those up here pretty soon. And uh, working with another company out of Chicago called TalkingCars.com. Uh, I'm going to be their Michigan rep here in another couple months, so I guess I'm leaking something. But uh, So we're going to get more into car stuff. It'll be fun. Um, and, and I always, you know, being an old gearhead myself, I had my 68 Camaro all hopped up with, uh, you know, the, the, with the full racing cam, and I was a street racer as a kid. So I love coming to these shows because they actually, at this show, they let you get into the vehicles, whereas Detroit, mm, not so much. Yeah, you know? not so, so much. Although that was, by the way, year, I, maybe years ago when I went down to the, to the car show, that was the fun that I had. That's how I really decided the cars that I was thinking of getting into was being yeah. able to sit in them and feel, get the feel of the vehicle in that sense. 
Yeah, in fact, one of the organizers of the show who we were walking around with was saying the very same thing is, I sat in all these vehicles trying to figure out which one I liked, yep. and she ended up picking the new Jeep uh, that, that that's just come out, uh, and uh, she said, I'm going to buy that new Jeep because I like the feel of it. So yep. that's exactly yep. what they want to do here. They want to move move metal, right? Yeah, exactly. Cal? So, so, Mike, what is the hot car at the show? What is the one car that everybody has to go and see there at the Grand Rapids show? Well, they've got a, what they call the million-dollar mile, which is not quite a mile. But they've got all these really expensive Maseratis and Lamborghinis here. they got about $5 million worth of them in one small area. And uh, that's where we shot some of the video in there. And it was like fighting our way through the crowd. So that, that's big. But a lot of people are looking at the more utilitarian vehicles, the more practical stuff. I mean... I know, Ed, you can afford a $350,000 car, <laughs> but not a whole lot of people over here in West Michigan can. So they're looking at, uh, you know, the Jeeps, and they're looking at the SUVs, and they're looking at the crossovers. Uh, but uh, nice crowd, very nice crowd. I've been here all day. I'm curious, are the pickups getting the attention that they seem to have gotten, uh, generally speaking, in the car industry? I'm sorry, say again, I can not uh, hear what you said. Are the pickups getting the kind of attention that they've gotten, it seems, both in the industry and at the car shows up to this point? Well, yeah, there's a few pickups here. I can't say that's what everybody was gravitating to. Mm. Uh, they were gravitating to, again, more of the the everyday sedans sort of thing. Um, yep. Although West Michigan is a big uh, tradesman area, and a lot of uh, folks like that yep. use pickup trucks. I just didn't see a lot at the show, nor did I see a lot of people... Uh, really hanging around the pickup truck. Okay. So again, the, the more you know, the the well, nowadays thirty five thousand is about your average starting price for a halfway good car, right? Yeah. So those those kinds of vehicles, people were really checking out. They were sitting in them. Their kids were sitting in them. They were doing the whole family thing. Mm. That, yeah, that's right. That is a big part of the show. That being you get that hands on feel. Mike, let's quickly talk about some of the other headlines that you have at MI Tech News. And by the way, folks, you can you hear that Mike is expanding his horizons. Continue. He's hacking his program <laughs> continually. Um, but one of the headlines I saw you were announcing this last week was 2016 broke records for robot orders and shipments. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that the the uh, very good year. Uh, they're used for a variety of things, obviously. Uh, but we had uh, let's see, we had thirty four thousand six hundred and six robots valued at one point nine million dollars ordered in North America. Most of that, obviously, for the auto industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, the units, uh, you know, they're they're just going up rapidly over twenty fifteen. So. Uh, that is, you know, everybody's talking about where are the jobs going, yeah. particularly in manufacturing. It's not some sinister plot by people overseas or anything like that. A lot of it is just it's automation. Uh, mm-hmm. It's you know, and, and if I, I suspect if a lot of those factories come back from overseas, that you're going to see a whole lot more automation. Yep. I don't think that's going to change. Yep. Yep. Yep, that is one of the one of the, if you will, uh, not hidden agendas, but one of the real stories behind this bring bring the business back to U.S. is to be bringing the robots back to the U.S. Uh, I also oh, yeah. noticed. <clears throat> I mean, that re- part of the reason they went overseas was cheap labor, but labor, as everybody mm-hmm. knows, is really not that big a component. I think about twelve percent or fifteen percent mm-hmm. of the actual car value. So, but I mean, when when uh, price is still important to a lot of people mm-hmm. and. Uh, 
and, and, and the quality too. Robots, you know, they they don't take a day off. They don't have a sick day. They just do the same thing. <laughs> There's over, no over, deer over season for a robot, <laughs> and so you can really improve your quality as well as kind of keep your price down. Yep. So those are two good things, right? Yeah. One of the things that uh, I found encouraging was the Enzo Life Sciences is launching a library to provide essential standards for cancer inhibitor screening. Yeah, uh, two hundred, and that's an Ann Arbor company, by the way. Uh, 275 ready-to-use compounds for those folks involved in cancer research. Uh, that's uh, very big, and particularly here in Grand Rapids, you have the Van Andel Institute mm-hmm. that Jay Van Andel uh, uh, endowed with something like $3 billion, and the main focus of that is trying to find cures to cancer, but gosh, there's so many different kinds of cancers, um, and some of them are self-induced, like smoking, right? Right. But... Uh, but no, this this is a good product, uh, a nice library that anybody involved in that area can go to for various types of cancers or whatever it is that they're doing research on. And Enzo does a really nice job with this. And again, a nice Ann Arbor company. By the way, we're talking with uh, Mike Brennan, who is the editor of MITechnews.com. And that is available as a subscription to anybody who's listening to the program right now. And Mike, it's quite simple to be able to get that delivered to your house every day. How do you do it? Well, you just go to MITechnews.com. I won't do the dub, dub, dub because that would date me, right? You know, <laughs> so uh, MITechnews.com, also on your website. And once you get there, I mean, we'll give you the news however you want it. Uh, yeah. You want to read it, you want to listen to it, you want to watch it, don't matter to me. <laughs> however you want it, it's all there. That's, that is your hacking the whole news delivery business. We just finished talking with uh, Josh Linkner about hacking innovation, and you certainly are doing that on a regular basis. We're bringing video in, as you said, you're bringing audio in, you're bringing so many different ways of delivering the news. And folks, it's all yours as Mike develops that, and it uh, is yours for absolutely nothing. Simply go to mitechnews.com and, uh, and put your email address in there, or you can go to internetadvisor.net, and when we post the the podcast and uh, our web update to the program, you'll see the smiling face there, and you'll also see a link to the headlines for this past week. Mike, thanks so much for being with us, and enjoy the car show out there in Grand Rapids. Thanks very much, guys. Have a great show. All right. Thank you. That's Mr. Mike Brennan. Well, folks, one down, two to go. I'm talking about the hours of this very special program, our Internet Advisor 19th anniversary program. And this next time around, this next hour, we're going to be talking a lot more in depth with Kasten Thomas, our cybersecurity ex- expert who's in studio here with us. Matter of fact, we're going to get treated to, I think, another version of Happy Anniversary from his wife. We'll also be talking with the folks from the Detroit Institute of Arts about a brand new way they have using technology that helps you to see even more behind and around and inside of the art at the Detroit Institute of Art on the Internet Advisor. You're listening to a podcast of the Internet Advisor Show. To see the show notes for this program, visit our homepage, theinternetadvisor.net. You'll discover past podcasts, our free toolkit with software to clean up your computer and keep it running strong, and many other resources. You'll also find links to mitechnews.com, our co-sponsored weekly tech and entrepreneur newsletter, edited by Mike Brennan. Now, let's get back to the second hour of the Internet Advisor. 
Welcome to hour number two of our 19th anniversary show. That's right, 19 years the Internet Advisor has been around here, both entertaining, we hope, and also answering questions that you may have about your devices and about getting on the Internet, getting around it, or sometimes we say getting over it. (laughs) We've got a great show lined up. This hour of the program, we're going to be looking at a brand new way of looking at art at the Detroit Institute of Arts and about cybersecurity. Happy anniversary, happy anniversary, happy anniversary, happy anniversary, happy, 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 happy anniversary, happy, 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 happy anniversary, happy anniversary. Thank you so much. That's Connie Thomas, the wife of Kasten Thomas, one of our experts in studio with us right now. We'll be talking with him a little later on. Connie, thank you very much. The second rendition of Happy Anniversary. Anniversary. <laughs> Start and, our second hour, and you too can hear that anytime you want. All you have to do is sell your house up in uh, the northern suburb, Rochester Hills. Yes. <laughs> uh, so Connie Thomas is a, a realtor up there. So. Oh, okay. Oh, that's <laughs> a nice it. little plug. But thank you very much for the serenade. So that was thank wonderful. you, thank you, thank you. Well, we're back again here with hour number two of the Internet Advisor, and uh, this hour is going to be a, a kind of a very special one because it's going to be, we have a mystery guest on the phone that we're we going to be do. talking to. Yes. But first of all, yes, let me yes. introduce a couple of very special people who are in studio with us. Megan DiRienzo, who is the interpretive planner for the Detroit Institute of Arts. Megan, thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me, and happy anniversary. Thank you very much. (laughs) I'm delighted to have you with us. And Richard Scott is also with us. He's the director of IT for the Institute of Arts. Hello, everyone. Glad to be here. Thanks for having us on. You know, I don't normally think in terms of IT, information technology, when I think of the Art Institute, because I'm thinking of paintings on the wall or brunch statues. with Bach and things like that. Yeah, right? yeah. there you go. You know, it's, it's more of a hands-on kind of thing. Well, you want to get your hands on some of the beautiful art there, but I mean, it's... Yeah, they, um, they have sirens that happen when you... Yeah, exactly. That's right. What role, what role does IT, information technology, play in the Institute of Arts? You, you might be surprised. We have, uh, you know, the building is quite large. Just to mm. give you an example, we have about, uh, oh, 12 miles of fiber running through the building. Wow. So just like any organization, there are there's technology needs across the, the, sure, of course. the DIA, and I and my team support all those technology needs for everyone. Wow. Now, Megan, we're here to talk in particular about a new technology called Lumen, right? Yes, sir. Yes. The Latin word for light. Yep. Mm-hmm. And uh, why don't you explain basically what is the ice? There's a series of wonderful articles that came out in the paper yeah. the other week. A beautiful spread talking about a, the institution of uh, opening up that on January 25th. But for the sake of our listeners, why don't you tell us what kind of generally what that is? Yeah. So Lumen is a um, handheld tour guide. Essentially, um, it's on a you know run of the mill. Well, not run of the mill cell phone, but it's on a cell phone device um, that we provide for visitors. And mm. um, what's special about it is that it's enabled with augmented reality technology. So if, you know, I don't know if any of you have ever used the audio guides at the DIA before. Mm -hmm. They 
yep, have yep. Graham Veal's voice mm-hmm. on them. They're, you know, a great farewell <laughs> to our director, the last thing at the museum with his voice on it. Um, and those are going to be phased out. And now as we move into the future, we're thinking what new things we can do. Oh. And we're thinking that augmented reality is, is going to be one of those things that is going to help people engage with art um, in ways that we've never imagined so, before. So this isn't like a Pokemon pointing at different artwork, <laughs> right? This, tell us what this no, really so means. <laughs> we, we use Pokemon Go to sort of describe it to people mm-hmm. because um, the technology is so new and augmented reality isn't um, necessarily something that is totally integrated into our everyday lives, but we right, do right, see examples right. of it. You know, Pokemon Go is a great one. Um, and then I don't know if any of you are on Snapchat, mm-hmm. but the Snapchat filters that change your face, you know, that actually yeah, yeah, maps yeah. an image onto your face. So that's that's a great example of augmented reality. So we're thinking about how augmented reality can help people engage and look at works of art in new ways. So we're we're trying to move forward with this this trend that we're pretty sure is going to become something that is oh. fully integrated into it, everybody's so now, lives. So now, if I come to the GIA, yep. Um, <laughs> and how many devices do you have, Richard? We have forty devices right now. Forty. So if I'm the forty-first person. Well, if I'm one of the first 40, what happens? You give me one of these devices. Exactly. So um, we provide a device to anyone that uh, is admitted to the museum. So so the Tri-County area, admission is free. Mm-hmm. Um, the devices are free. All that we ask is that you provide a picture ID, right. and we'll hand you a device. Mm-hmm. If you're the 41st person, you wait you're going to have to wait until someone turns one back in. Okay. <laughs> Richard, yeah, hold up. I, I, we're going to be posting this on our website. Hold up the device. You have the device in front of you there, I right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and it's interesting because it uh, it is. Uh, uh, I, I he's taking a picture in real. I'm taking time, a picture because we're going to post. We need this. a webcam here. So but it's like you take a on. cell phone, <laughs> a, a larger one, one of the larger ones like I have now, and you clamp it into a holder, right? Correct. And then you would focus that holder, or the phone, I should say, on one of the artworks that is involved in yep. this. Are they identified as uh, specific? Um, you know, is there something? Art, yeah, does yeah, there are certain pieces of art that are identified as we? We have seven stops on the tour right now, gotcha. and it's going to be expanding. What what we're doing right now is just is a prototype, mm-hmm. and and we're asking for feedback from visitors, oh, um, and we'll we'll use that feedback as we move into a a more permanent release uh, in a phase, really a phase one. So this is really just a prototype phase, and then we'll we'll implement a phase one that's going to take all the feedback that we get from visitors. Wow. Um, no. So people no. using it right now will have a chance to have an impact uh, further on the program. Absolutely. Mm. Yep. Wow, that's pretty good. So it, now will I be able to tell which stops before I get to the DIA, or is it only afterwards? I mean, do you have anything online that I can look ahead of time? Yeah, it's so the the way that the device works, so there's actually an application on the device. So um, and one of the awesome things about the augmented reality part of this is that it takes you through the building through augmented reality. So oh, you wouldn't have to know beforehand. Um, Oh, okay. What, you what have to, oh, I love it. So you, yeah. yeah, you don't mm-hmm. have to have any, you don't have to yeah. take a course in order yep, to be able to use it. The device takes you through. Yep. All right. We're going to be back in just a moment to continue our conversation about this brand new technology at the Detroit Institute of Arts with our two guests, Megan DiLorenzo and Richard Scott, and a mystery guest coming in in just a moment. Well, Gary, I have been teasing this notion of having a guest, mystery guest on here, and uh, I think it's about time we revealed the 
reality of the person behind the call. Well, you know, we're talking to our guests from the DIA, but this is not the first art-related show that we've done. Certainly isn't. We did an actual art versus virtual art where we went online and we figured out what art we wanted to see when uh, my family came to visit me. I was working over in Paris at the time, and uh, my daughter, Lauren, uh, figured out what art she wanted to see at the Louvre, and then we went in <laughs> to, to look at the artwork. And uh, Lauren uh, has been a, a big part of our show over the years when That's she was right. a Teen Tech Tipster. And uh, she's now living in L.A., so she can't be on regularly. In fact, um, I think I hear her in the background, and I think I hear the Chinese New Year parade in L.A. going on right now. Hi, Lauren. Hi! Thanks for having me on. Well, I can hear the dr- I can hear the drums in the background. You're not in one of those dragon suits, are you? No, I wish. But there's a, there's a ton of dragons in LA today. Yeah, I can imagine. So happy Happy Chinese New Year! But happy 19th anniversary to you guys. Hi, that's yeah. right. Now, do you recall when you and your dad made that call to us, lo, these many years ago, uh, from Paris? I do. <laughs> that was an, it. Made a big impression. I still remember. And I was how old was I? About seven, I think. Seven. Yeah, yeah you were on our first time. You were on our show was uh, you were five years old. Uh, that was nineteen years yeah. ago. And uh, but then I think you were seven when we went to the Louvre, and the executive director of the Louvre uh, set it up so that we could call back into the show uh, from his office. Uh, and uh, I, I remember that when we went on and we looked at all the different artwork that you wanted to see and you said well yeah okay this mona lisa thing yeah we'll we'll go look at (laughs) we'll go look at her too and when you got to that room that was the last thing you wanted to look at do you remember what you did yeah it was one of the smaller um pieces of art in the room i saw a bunch of hunting dogs yeah, on the wall, <laughs> that's on the right. Far wall, and I ran right up to it. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah, seven-year-old and uh, big hound dogs, right in this mural. So, what else? Yep. What else do you remember about your visit to the Louvre? Oh, you can't beat the Eiffel Tower. I remember that. Yeah. Oh, the traveling that... and Toblerone chocolate. Well, we felt, Lauren, that we needed to have you on to complete the anniversary edition of the program, especially since we have the folks in here from the Detroit Institute of Arts. I'm going to let you go back to enjoying your Chinese New Year's parade there in Los Angeles. Great. Thank you. Yeah. Happy Year of the Rooster. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Lauren. And very best to you, (laughs) too, honey. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye, Lauren. Lauren Baker uh, joining us uh, for this uh, auspicious occasion, the 19th anniversary. Uh, With me in studio right now, Megan DiLorenzo, who is the DIA's, the Detroit Institute of Arts Interpretive Planner, and Richard Scott, the director of IT. Uh, Richard, I I was noticing in the article in the paper that uh, you got the idea for this uh, technology from Google and for something called Project Tango, am I right? Uh, it is Project Tango from Google, but uh, and I was aware of it, but actually uh, I was fortuitous to have made a relationship with a company called Guide2Go. Ah. Um, they were working with Google shortly after I started at the DIA on a Google Glass project. Oh, yeah. And I thought it was interesting, so I, I uh, created a relationship with them, but the Google Glass just didn't, just wouldn't work in a museum environment. Oh, I thought that'd be kind of cool. I, I, I tried it. But oh, did you? Yeah. It just didn't do it, huh? Yeah. 
Pe- people, the take-up rate of Google Glass at the museum would be quite low, I think. Yeah, uh, people so. are uncomfortable wearing a, a device like that on their face. Uh-huh. And, and Google found that out, too. Yeah, Actually, right. Google Glass isn't really available commercially anymore, right. isn't it? Right. It's it's only it's used business. for business purposes, yeah. like medical purposes or right. very specialized, but right. not for public consumption. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and this is a bigger field of vision, too, on the screen that you, you held up. Exactly. It's about the size of what is like a, a Galaxy Tab, something like that? Yeah, they, they call it a phablet. I don't remember exactly okay. what the dimensions are. Yeah, it's, it's um, bigger than, it's even bigger than my iPhone is. 6 Plus. It is, yep. it's a, it's So quite, I would imagine it offers you the opportunity to display more of the augmented reality. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a it's a great size device for, for what we're doing mm-hmm. uh, because people can see very clearly on the device and it gives uh, a real high definition view uh, when people are using it. Mm-hmm. So... Um, yeah, it's a, it's a perfect size. It, and it, Megan, it even allows you to look inside the sarcophagus of the mummy? It does. Yes, <laughs> yes, it does. It creates the illusion of an X-ray viewer, but um, it's not actually an X-ray viewer. It's a really great example of how we're using augmented reality, ah. how we're using that digital layer over yeah, yeah. real objects. So when you walk up to the mummy, you hold the device up to the mummy, and you see a 3D reconstruction of the skeleton of the person inside the mummy um, actually on top in three dimensions over wow. over the wow. wrapped figure. So, um, you know, there's been a photo of the x-rays that we've done of, this, of the mummy mm-hmm. next to the actual object for years now. And um, but the reaction that people have seeing the skeleton oh, actually over the object oh, yeah. is so much more impactful than than a photograph. I bet it next is. To it. So oh, yes, it it's, is. It's really magical. And, um, you know, the device has, uh, Richard, I think it'd be interesting if you would share a little bit about what's special about about the device, because this isn't just anybody's old cell phone. There's there's some mm-hmm. special hardware on here that, that makes sure. it work. Yep. Um, actually, it's a, it's a the only Tango-enabled um, device that's available to the general public right now. Oh. So it's a, it's a Lenovo Fab 2 Pro phone, mm. um, okay. or phablet, as mm-hmm. it's called, mm-hmm. um, and it has Tango technology built in. What that is is technology that allows the device to understand its surroundings in three dimensions. So wow. it, it can actually read where the walls, the ceiling, the floor, and all of the all the cases in the museum, or if we were using it here in this room, you would see all the desks and everything around it and know exactly where it was in relationship to all of that stuff in the, in the remarkable, area. Remarkable, remarkable. Yeah. And so you're, you have seven stations right now, and then you'll be adding more. Um, anything you want to tell us about, like, the next group of seven? Uh, can you <laughs> give us a scoop here? Yeah, uh, so we, we can tell you a little bit. Yeah, okay. so we're moving up to the second floor. We have to finish the first floor first. We have two more stops to finish on okay. the first floor, and then we'll do some remediation of the first seven stops. Um, since they're just pilot stops, we'll clean them up. We'll, gotcha. you know, get feedback from people, fix them up a little mm-hmm. bit, um, and then move on to the second floor. And we're really looking closely at how we can use augmented reality in Rivera Court. Oh, so, oh, yeah, I know. Everyone's face just That would be cool. Yeah, so we have all this historic documentation mm-hmm. about how Rivera actually created the murals. We have footage oh, of him, wonderful. you know, painting. We yeah. have footage of his assistants laying plaster onto the walls. So we can use all of that data and all of that information to, to do all sorts of amazing yeah, things. I understand yeah. also that when you look at certain areas, you will not only see the object which is in focus, but there are other things that mm-hmm. will be brought into perspective that have to do with it. Uh, explain that yeah. a little bit. 
Right. I so I, I think you're talking about uh, some of the AR markers that we have. Is, yes. Right. Mm-hmm. So we have uh, AR markers that appear there. When we're talking about the mummy, there's the view that Megan was describing, that we have the skeleton in three dimensions overlaid on the sarcophagus, mm-hmm. and then there's learn more, which uh, a learn more oh, option, yes. which gives you AR markers on various different points within the, on the mummy that you press those on the phone, and it gives you a lot more information about oh, conservation, that's how it. we're taking care of the sarcophagus, um, and various different uh, detailed information about what we've learned about from the x-rays that we did of the mummy. I see that some of the things that you've got of the Babylonian Empire, colors of carved stone, what's that? Uh, go ahead, oh, Megan. Yeah, so the colors of carved stone is an ancient relief from Assyria, and if you hold the device up to it, it shows that it was originally brightly painted. Oh, wow. So, yeah, and you get yeah, to yeah. see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I it's very it. magical. It's really... You got another one. How to mark property in Mesopotamia? Mm -hmm. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, those are the ancient um, cylinder seals. So they look like little beads that you would wear around your neck. And actually, people would wear them around their neck because it was how they signed things. And you can see how one works using augmented reality. Well, folks, I suggest that you make a trip to the Detroit Institute of Arts and see this for yourself. And it's free. It's the right price. I love it. (laughs) Megan DiLorenzo, thank you so much. And Richard Scott, you also for being here. We're very proud of the Detroit Institute of Arts and so thankful for what you guys have done as well. Thanks for being with us in studio. Thank you for having us. We hope to see you at the DIA soon. Very soon. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Welcome. It's the Internet Advisor, hour number two. And we are just storming through, actually halfway through our program because we've got a three-hour show today. And uh, the next hour, we'll be uh, opening up our phone lines for you to ask your questions, and we're going to put Ed and Cal in particular to work at that point to answer your questions about technology, about your device, about getting on the internet, getting around it, or getting over it, as we sometimes. I got to earn my paycheck today? Yeah. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Every yeah. Saturday. Okay. You work off the cake. <laughs> okay. That's it. You have to work off the cake. <laughs> yes, Mike Stetz, thank you so much for all the help you give us back there as our engineer and also <laughs> as our flying producer. Uh, right now, though, I want to reintroduce somebody who's been in this studio with us. And, well, by the way, he's graciously agreed to be with us in our next hour as well to answer your questions about security. And that is Kasten Thomas. Thank you, sir, for being with us. We've got to press a button there. There we go. So glad to be here. Yep. Yep. For our anniversary show. Uh, And thank you for bringing Connie so she can serenade us with the uh, happy anniversary song. (laughs) (laughs) I get it every day. She's she's my dream. All Uh, right. You get to live the dream every day. She sings happy anniversary every day. (laughs) She'll sing whatever I want. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's a happy man. (laughs) <laughs> so, now, listen, Kasten, we, we've been talking a little bit about security, but the Super Bowl is tomorrow. The and Super Bowl, right. There's some new technology that they're going to use in the stadium. Are they using it in the I stadium? I think they're there. They are in some stadiums. Well, I they think they're at Houston. Yeah, yep. they should. So tell us a little bit about 802.11ac Wave 2. Oh, before we do that, let's do a little background because... Okay. Uh, 802.11 is actually uh, a standard uh, that is authored by the Institute of Electrical and Electronic Engineers. So when we talk about 802.11, we're talking about a very detailed standard so that many vendors can work together. Okay. So, so that's the 802.11. Wait, that's, uh, that's the IEEE. IEEE. That's yeah. it. Okay. And that's one of the, uh, if you will, 
standardized bodies. Exactly. So, so that we're not inventing all sorts of different kind of technologies right. that are clashing against one another. This is one of the ways. And, and what does it have to do with in particular? And this is wireless technology. So wireless. everybody yeah, okay. that has a wireless router at home, they have this technology in one of the different flavors, and this is just the newest flavor. Right. And thinking back 20 years ago, there was no Wi-Fi. There were no hotspots. No- you know, it's almost incredible to think that there was a time when we didn't have that kind of thing. It's become so much a part of the atmosphere now. And this is the 19th anniversary, not only of the Internet Advisor, but of the 802.11 standard. Oh, no way. <laughs> so that would be 1998. Yeah, 1998. 1997 was when the standard came out and the product started hitting the market right about uh, 1998. Yeah, I remember trying to get it to work, and they had the little PCMSA cards you'd stick in the laptops. Yep. Cisco oh, was the most prevalent. Yeah. Yep. I probably still have one in my bag. Right. And I'll show it to you later. And, and you know how you can remember PCMCIA? was people can't memorize confusing industry acronyms. <laughs> <laughs> okay, back to the <laughs> back to the AC standard. Wow. So what yeah. is AC? AC is the next evolution in Wi-Fi. And okay. so over the last 19 years, every two or three years, a new standard comes out. So you might have heard of 802.11b, 802.11a, 802.11n. N, N right. was out for a well, long time. N was the last single letter. Uh, standard mm-hmm. that they issued. And uh, about uh, three years ago, the standard was finally established for 802.11ac. What did the AC stand for? The AC stands for, I don't believe anything other than it's the next <laughs> progression because within the standard committee, there's an AD right. and an AE and an oh, AF. Oh, I got you. Okay. So, so, di- so when different standards are proposed, they're all given a distinguishing number. Or a letter in this case. Mm -hmm. And then they only then adopt certain ones. That's why you see N going all the way to AC. I see. Okay. And and the reason that we as technologists do that is because as we confuse people with lots of numbers and (laughs) letters and acronyms, it keeps other people thinking that we're really magically really wonderful and smart. (laughs) You got to keep us around. It's it's worked for years. Wow. You got to keep us around. You know, Gary, you just helped me out. Now now I understand Microsoft a little bit better. (laughs) I just thought they couldn't count. But they they were just making up other operating systems they just didn't adopt. They just, you know, they started with three, right? Yeah. And uh, skipped nine, you know. Windows does that. Well, they went all the way to 97 and then came back. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Good okay, okay. Back to the AC. So what are the benefits of this? Because I know we uh, we, we somewhere in N, we had MIMO, multi-in, multi-out, that's with right. the routers with multiple antennas. And now you could they look like ET. I've seen them with seven antennas now. Yeah. Right. And uh, now you get to put MU in front of all that. Yep. Mu? Mu for multi-user. Ah. Yep. So the idea of multi-user is that... Let's give an example in the stadium. If you have a video stream that everybody wanted to watch, let's say of another game in the stadium, every person who was watching that video at the same time would actually have that single stream just for them. So if you had 100 people watching that, you'd have 100 video streams going out. Oh, using up all that bandwidth, all a bunch of individually served. People and you're saying that Mew basically allows them to uh, have a single stream. It's it's the idea of broadcast TV. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Okay. And so then everybody can just dip into the stream at any part that they want to. So if I want to come in at the fourth quarter, and you come in at the third quarter, we can just dip at any particular time, not 
have to move the entire stream for everybody. Well, yeah. Kind Are you using yep. fisher, fisherman acronyms again? I told you about that. <laughs> so when you think about this, you'll think about different views of a football game, right? Mm-hmm. So you'll get the quarterback's view because he'll have a little camera on the oh. helmet, right? You can get a view from the sidelines, from the coach's view, right? And you can tap into different streams. Yeah, what, what oh, you got to remember is that, you know, the sports now, teams... No, that's completely out yet, but that's where this is heading. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, the, the sports teams are competing with television now because some people prefer to watch a game at home rather than come to the stadium and buy $17 hot dogs. Yeah. So, uh, and, or $1,500 and, tickets, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, and, so, and when you get a view of the field goal kick from behind the kicker, you know, and, and then you get to watch the ball, you know, zoom in on the ball See as this, it the goes between sees, the... Yeah. yeah, exactly. Absolutely. As Why if you could make a change in that game. <laughs> <laughs> so I the whole idea is that it's an entertainment venue. venue. Oh, absolutely. So these features of augmented reality, virtual reality, are going to be interjected into the stadium experience in order to bring people, again, for those $17 hot dogs. <laughs> and again... <laughs> The, the improvement or the change that was made is what now, Caston? Well, there's a, a number of changes. You know, everything gets faster, better, more signal, cleaner signal, if you will, mm-hmm. so that things just work better. So, so, so uh, of course, what we're talking about is the wireless standard. But the, so people that are, this will only apply for people that attach to the wireless network that's at the stadium, you know, the 802.11 network. And we're not talking about the cellular network right now. Right. And there's okay. other technology for that. And if you look at what the stadiums have been facing is that every year, the amount of capacity that uh, is going oh. on in the stadiums is doubling right. every oh, yeah. year. And when you think about Using that in conjunction with, say, iBeacons, where I could say, all right, for the next 10 minutes, this row or these two rows, everybody in the seats in these two rows gets 20% off a hot dog. So it brings it down to fifteen dollars, right? Right. So, but I mean, you, you can really see. Yeah. By the way. <laughs> <laughs> Only you, casting with <laughs> But but you could see where this is going, right? And and it really becomes a very unique, personalized experience great. when you're in the this stadium. This is just great. Now I'm going to have to listen to more crying. Oh my God! Apple invented a phone that can talk to that protocol. Now we have to buy another phone. Apple's going to get so rich. <laughs> <laughs> but they're paying for a new technology, and you got to pay for that, and that's going to go for all phones, of course. Right, right. Yep. Speaking of that, that, listen, there's no complaining in Apple right now, is there? With no. the quarterly report, <laughs> you, you know, I looked at that report, and, and Apple of this last quarter surpassed Samsung in manufacturing more phones and selling more phones than Samsung. First time in a while, because Samsung's been the leader for a long, long time, and they stubbed their toe. And right? yeah, and they stubbed their toe. I, I multiplied it out. They sold, just in phones, the last quarter, they sold 78 million phones or something like that. It, it was, that's $54 billion just in phones at an average of $695 yeah. a phone. Well, and they just, and this is all they for just phone went ex- over the billion mark, too, of billion iPhones. Yeah. Th- this is also on a phone that people were saying, oh, well, who wants? It's just an iteration. Yeah, and that's on oh, the 7. Mackerel. Yeah. Yeah, on the 7. And My God, you know, and all the rumors that are going on about the 8, you know, whether it comes true or not, it's another story. Apple only knows that. Uh, it's just crazy. 
I mean, Apple used to be a computer company. They're a, <laughs> now they're a phone company. They're it just happens to sell tablets computers. and computers. Well, I was just going to say I thought the next iPhone was going to have the three cameras, two so you can take uh, 3D photos, you know. Who knows? It could be one on either end at a four-inch differential. I think that'd it's, be cool. It's possible. You never know. 3D effect. Yep. yep. Ooh. Hey, listen, we're going to take a quick break. and When we come back, Caston, I want you to talk about uh, some articles I've been seeing about a new form of ransomware that looks particularly nasty. All kinds of ransomware. Ooh, yeah. Coming up on our Internet Advisor 19th anniversary. It's the Internet Advisor 19th edition of our 19th anniversary, rather, of our program. Been around for a few more than 19 editions. And uh, we're, this hour, we're uh, continuing our conversation with Caston Thomas, who is uh, the president of Interworks. I get Interworks. That right? yep. Interworks, uh, a security firm, a cybersecurity firm. And uh, we've been talking about some of the new technologies that are out right now for wireless streaming, but also some recent uh, articles I saw say that there are, are new forms of ransomware that's out? Right. Yeah, and we, we've been thinking that ransomware is going to get really bad when it's more than just encrypting data, uh, when it's affecting people's lives or mm-hmm. being used for blackmail, mm-hmm. uh, turning on cameras and, and watching people do things that might uh, compromise their reputation sure. and the like. Sure, sure. Yeah. So you we're know, starting to see that emerge now. So... Um, I met Kasten through a company called Securus, uh, who has a breakfast meeting every Friday morning. Uh, And there's a bunch of security folks, um, chief information security officers and other people involved in security. Kasten is one of these guys that seems to find the most unique, the most innovative, little companies out there that are going to be the next big companies in security. And, you know, so when Kasten opens his mouth at at uh, breakfast, it's not just to put in a, a forkful of egg. It's to really tell us about it. <laughs> well, one of, one of the things that we've done recently is we've actually built a process around finding those game-changing technologies. We've built a database, and we're accessing 19 different sources finding the new companies. And, uh we're going to be formalizing that and rolling that service out to deliver that information to companies to help them know what's coming next, if you will. Yeah, is is there cool. anything? Well, well, right now, people have asked us this um, when they when they email us, and I'm sure we'll get uh, emails after this program doing the same thing. Is there any uh, one company that's better than others? for providing, let's say, just the regular consumer who's listening to this program? You know, I, I, I'd say yes, but uh, it's going to change tomorrow. The, the thing they keep about leapfrogging security, each other? it's changing so quickly that I could give you my opinion today. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, you know, there are a it lot could... of opinions out there. What I tell people for the home market is find a technology that you've heard of or read about or somebody who knows these things that you trust Get their advice. Okay, we trust you. Tell us what to use. (laughs) (laughs) That would start sounding like a commercial. (laughs) Because, you know, uh, Windows 10 includes the integrated antivirus software. We tell our customers that Malwarebytes is an excellent program. Um, It's just not... Uh, malicious software, and that's what Malwarebytes is, because the the, the border between viruses, trojans, and and uh, mal- malware, it I mean, all of them do that now. Right. Where, yeah. 
And the the tools that you need to protect yourself really depend on what you're doing. Yes. You know, the tools that a company, a small business will use will be different than what General Motors or Procter & Gamble will mm-hmm. use. Sure. That'll even be different than what a bank would use. So if you're only using email, you know, that's one tool. Yep. So when, you know, we all thought Brian Krebs, you know, great security guru, right? Yep, one of the best. Until he got hacked, (laughs) right? (laughs) Until, you know, and you think of Kapersky, right? And, you know, they're Russian. They know all the guys in Russia that are (laughs) hacking everybody else, but they got hacked, right? Right. So is anybody safe? No one's safe. I mean, the the big change that's happened in the world that every one of us is under constant seven days a week, 24 hours a day, you know, the threat of a cyber attack, our identity, our privacy, the data on our computers. You know, there was a, a hotel in Austria that was hacked this past week where they were unable to service their customers. And they paid, I believe, $4,000 in order to get the uh, system running so that they could open the door so that their uh, their guest could, could actually get into the could room. Get into the room. <laughs> oh my okay. goodness! So you were talking about an, uh, the next generation of ransomware. What do you mean by that? Well, uh, when you look at just the encryption, that next generation is the entire computer is uh, encrypted, and you just get a black screen with a message that says "click here or pay." Oh, I mean the wow. great. You know, the ransomware people are actually. Improving customer service. They have helplines. <laughs> yeah. uh, there's a new oh concept that really, really scares me called ransomware as a service. Yeah. Where anyone can go on to the metal. dark web and push. And, and we wrote a blog about this, about how it could affect uh, local city, state government yeah. uh, uh, schools. Because there's so much open information. What these ransomware uh, hackers want to do is get someone to open an email or click on a link. Well, if it's about last night's city council meeting, it's very easy to get somebody to click on a document that's attached if it's someone Mm -hmm. who's doing what we call spear phishing, Mm -hmm. a very, very targeted attack with a very, very targeted message that someone's naturally going to click on. It looks like it's coming from the mayor, and it's going out to the other council people, and it says, regarding last night, blah, 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 they'd have the agenda, they could see it, they they could yeah. fashion an email that's very targeted mm-hmm. that, how would you know? Here's yeah. that PowerPoint document you want, you requested. Yeah. And, yeah. I mean, yeah. Cal, do you have something? Well, then maybe it might be now, it might be the time to start thinking about doing things like uh, daily cloning of your machine so that if they did mm. grab it, your machine and hit it and that sort of thing, it'd just be a matter of opening it up, take the old drive out that's been ransomized, for lack of a well, better no, it's interesting you and bring then that stick up. a different one in. Well, I was going to say virtual PC well, or virtual. But Corporal yeah. Texas uh, yeah. was uh, hit with ransomware. They decided not to pay, and they lost eight years of yeah. evidence. Jeez. And Holy they said, we're not going to pay. They wiped out all the drives, restored from backup, was also encrypted. Oh, really? So eight see. years of evidence. They yeah. got wait, they got to the backup? Yes, they got to the backup. So most oh, of the time wow. and I, I know friends that have gotten hit by um by ransomware and they just said, Okay. They closed everything down, they backed up, we're back in business again, right? Mm-hmm. And closed down where the bad guys had come in. Yeah. Um 
so how did they get to the backup? I mean, that now yeah. that's starting to scare me because a lot of us were saying, okay, if they hit us, right, can't always stop them because they come up with new innovative ways. Because they did the backup, right. or they you encrypted know, the backups it, first. It came, it came in, got infected, they did the backup, and then the other oh. one uh, that was online already got activated, it encrypted, and then they said, okay, fine, took it out of the way, put the other one in. It had the bug already in it. They turned it back on and encrypted that one. I yeah. wonder, do you think then that things like Carbonite and other cloud security firms uh, are taking cautions precisely to not let that happen? Well, I, I think they try to do the best they can. Yeah. It's like anything else. How do you fix something that you don't even know exists yet? Wow. And so then until it actually shows up, then, you know, that's when you'll know. But that's the reason why I've always believed in multiple backups. Right. I have backups in the cloud. I have backups on hard drives. Mm -hmm. I have backups all over the place. So I got multiple chances, not to say I'm going to beat them all, mm -hmm. but I got multiple yeah. chances of being able yeah. to get the vital stuff that I need. Well, and, and I noticed you're carrying around mostly an iPad <laughs> as opposed right. to a PC. Less, <laughs> probably less susceptible. No, the PC's back here. This is just easy to read while oh. I'm looking at show notes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there we go. Now, well, what... Okay. So you got to you got to do multiple things to be able to you know it's the belt and suspenders theory you know right uh, if, if you don't have one thing to cover yourself you have another something else to cover yourself and the highly critical stuff you just need multiple backups of in multiple locations we'll be back after the top of the outer star taking your calls and answering your questions you've been listening to the Internet Advisor Show Detroit's longest running locally produced computer show with Foster Brown Gary Baker and our team of experts. For more information about our weekly show, to ask a question of our experts, or find the show notes for this podcast, visit internetadvisor.net and look for us on Facebook and Twitter. Don't forget to check the other great podcasts available on this podcastdetroit.com network. Thank you for listening.